Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. Last episode, I gave you some examples of uh, kind of a strategy I use when I'm talking to Jehovah's Witnesses, and so I want to continue that today with two more examples from the Bible uh, to basically go against some of the main doctrines that Jehovah's Witnesses believe. So um, just as a reminder, you need to be very familiar with these passages if you're going to speak to a Jehovah's Witness. Um, also, when you're when you're reading through these Try to think like a Jehovah's Witness, and this applies to any other religion. You know, if you're talking to an atheist, you need to have spent some time trying to think like an atheist. Try to step into their worldview and then uh, and see where the weaknesses are, and then go at those. And so, you know, try to think like a Jehovah's Witness. Spend some time on their app or their website and and learn about what they believe and and knowing what you know about Christianity then you can kind of go go at those weaknesses. So um, again, just as a reminder of some of the basic doctrines that we're trying to attack here that Jehovah's Witnesses believe. They believe that Jesus is not eternal. Uh, they deny the Trinity, and so they believe Jesus is the first and greatest of Jehovah's creation. So Jehovah to them is what we call Unitarian. And so basically you can, if you're a Christian and you're familiar with the just the basic of the Trinity, they believe that Jehovah is essentially God the Father, and God the Father is the only being that is eternal. And then Jehovah created Jesus, and then Jesus created everything else. And so uh, that's a big difference. Jesus, for the Christian, is eternal. For the Jehovah's Witness, he is not eternal. And there's a a great divide there between uh, creator and eternal being versus something that is created. And so that's definitely something that we want to attack because we believe the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is eternal. Also, they believe the Holy Spirit is an impersonal uh, energy force of God and and God's uh, or Jehovah's active energy force. So the Holy Spirit is not personal to them. It's it's a, the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force. Think of like the force in Star Wars or something like gravity. Gravity is is impersonal. It it doesn't care um, who you are. Gravity is is just a force. It it doesn't have any sort of personality. You can't relate to it. Um, like you can another person. And so it, um, that's how they see the Holy Spirit is an impersonal energy force. So the purpose of these conversations um, and, and this these two podcast episodes is that you would be ready. If you're a Christian, you would be ready to talk to Jehovah's Witnesses. They're, they are starting after you know all the COVID lockdowns and all that stuff. Jehovah's Witnesses are starting to come door to door again, and so you need to be ready. You need to spend some time in in your Bible and maybe have some notes um, that you could quickly look over as they're ringing the doorbell or whatever, um, and that you could uh, you could start some conversation with them. And so that's the point: to start a conversation, not to yell Bible verses at them and then slam the door in their face. You want to start a relationship. These are people with an eternal soul, and so we are going to try to persuade them to believe the Bible. Now, it's important to realize that the Holy Spirit does the work in the heart of an unbeliever. 
all glory goes to God. If 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 you start a relationship with a Jehovah's Witness and they come to a a saving knowledge of the true God of the Bible, then that it's all to the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6, uh, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth about, um, about this very thing, basically, because some were identifying with different apostles and basically saying they, you know, they're on like Team Apollos or Team Paul. And so Paul says this, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one that gave the growth. And so we should never boast in the cleverness of our own arguments or anything like that. Yet at the same time, we should put in the work to develop a persuasive argument. So just because the Holy Spirit is the one who does the the work in the heart of an unbeliever does not mean we should be lazy. Uh, We should try to be persuasive. This is something that in, in several different avenues over the past a uh, week or two that has come up as I've been studying just different things. This idea has come up over and over again uh, in just my own personal study, and so I wanted to share this with you. So we we should strive to be persuasive. We should be passionate about winning souls for the Lord. In Acts nineteen eight, it says this about Paul, and he that is Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. In Acts 26, 28, Paul's talking to King Agrippa, and Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? So in, in these examples, and you and if you just, like I use the ESV, and I typed in uh, a search for persuade, and several verses popped up, and so you can see this over and over again, but it, it's very clear that Paul is trying to make strong arguments for Christianity. And so that's what we should do as well. Now, you can always email me, bearchristianity at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to answer any questions or, or like this past week, I had some people email me about some, some resources. And so uh, hopefully I, the, the reply back was helpful to them. Um, you can find me on Instagram at TheRealBearMartin and on Twitter at Bear4Christos. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it important to drink water? Husbands, are your wives important to you? Of course, the answer is yes to both of these questions. Recently, the Bear Christianity Podcast has partnered with an amazing charity, Water Bottles for Wives. Water Bottles for Wives, or WBW, seeks to provide financial assistance to families so that wives are able to drink water. Men, how could our wives possibly drink water if they do not have a new water bottle each week? All across America, wives are dehydrated. Because of inflation and the rising cost of water bottles, many husbands can no longer afford his family's necessities. WBW is doing something about this. For just $53 per day, you can sponsor a husband so that he can buy the water bottles his wife so desperately needs. There is not a better way to spend your money. Go to wbw.org to sponsor a husband today. All right, last week I gave two examples of how an Old Testament verse that is only talking about Jehovah is then quoted in the New Testament, and that's talking about Jesus. So today I want to give you two more examples. The first one, however, is going to deal with the Holy Spirit. So I think this is the strongest example 
of showing a Jehovah's Witness that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, but rather the the Holy Spirit has person. Uh, we would say the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and so the, the Holy Spirit is doing things that impersonal forces don't do. All right? So let me read Jeremiah 31, verses 33 through 34. So pretty popular verses, actually. You'll you'll probably recognize them as I'm reading. And again, I'm reading all the verses from here on out will be from the New World Translation, which is the Jehovah's Witness official translation of the Bible. Uh, it is bias. It's by their done by their own translation team. But for a Jehovah's Witness, they believe that it's the most unbiased translation. So it's good to use that translation when you're talking to them. All right. So Jeremiah 31 33 through 34. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Jehovah. I will put my law within them, and in their heart I will write it, and I will become their God, and they will become my people. And they will no longer teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, No, Jehovah, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them, declares Jehovah. For I will forgive their error, and I will no longer remember their sin. So that's Jeremiah 31. Now, let's go to Hebrews 10 in the New Testament, verses 15 through 17. It says this, Moreover, the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after it has said, all right, and remember, they refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, all right? So, for after it, the Holy Spirit has said, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says Jehovah. I will put my laws in their hearts, and and in their minds I will write them. Then it says, and I will no longer call their sins and their lawless deeds to mind. So this is a quotation from Jeremiah 31. But at the beginning and the end, it says that the Holy Spirit is the one speaking these words. Now, there is a, a little thing in the middle there that says, says Jehovah. But at the beginning and the end, the Holy Spirit is the one speaking these words from Jeremiah 31. So if the Holy Spirit is just an energy force, then why does why is the Holy Spirit credited with speaking these words? I don't say the, you know, the energy force coming out of my throat said, you know, and then and then give a quote. That would be a weird way of of quoting something. We we say so and so said. We we assign a personhood to somebody saying something when we when we quote them. We don't talk about the energy coming out of them as being the the thing that is that is doing the quoting. So hopefully that's not confusing to you there. But it's so important to try to get in the mind of a Jehovah's Witness that the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force, um, and it just does not make sense biblically. So, um, you know, why not just say Jehovah said? Why would the author of Hebrews say the Holy Spirit said? All right? And so the Holy Spirit is clearly personal. Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 5. Can you lie to an energy force? Uh, The Holy Spirit intercedes for us in Romans chapter 8. Can an impersonal force choose to intercede for someone? In Ephesians 4, we're warned not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Can an impersonal force be grieved? Uh, Is gravity grieved because airplanes or rockets are are defying it? No, an impersonal force doesn't have feelings. It, It can't do these things that the Holy Spirit does in the Bible. 
So that would be, that's the first example today. Um, the second example is we're going to go back to talking about Jesus. So verses that are describing Jehovah in the Old Testament, and then talk about Jesus in the New. Um, this one is very powerful, but there are some uh, some little nuances that if Jehovah's Witnesses have come across this before, that they may bring up. And so we'll talk through some of those. Um, what I want to do in this one, usually I read the Old Testament verse first and then the New, but I actually, for this one, I want to start with the New Testament reference. Uh, it's, it's a fairly lengthy passage, but I want to give you the whole context here. And it's from John 12, verses 36 through 43. It says this, Jesus said these things and went off and hid from them. Although he had performed so many signs before them, they were not putting faith in him, so that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, who said, Jehovah, who has put faith in the living thing heard from us? And as for the arm of Jehovah, to whom has it been revealed? The reason why they were not able to believe is that again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and has made their hearts hard, so that they would not see with their eyes and understand with their hearts, and turn around and I heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. All the same, Many, even the rulers, actually put faith in him, but they would not acknowledge him because of the Pharisees, so that they would not be expelled from the synagogue, for they loved the glory of men even more than the glory of God. All right, so that's John 12, 36 through 43. So Jesus, of course, has, has been teaching, and some of the people are putting faith in Jesus, but many of the Jews, especially the, the Jewish elite, the leaders, are not putting faith or believing in Jesus. And so, um, you know, so, so John quotes Isaiah there about their, their eyes are blind, their hearts are hard. Um, if they, you know, if they would turn to Jesus, he would heal them. Um, of course, in, in Isaiah, he's talking about turning to Jehovah and Jehovah would heal them. All right. And then the really important quote here is John 12, 41. It says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and he spoke about him. Now, in this passage in John, who are the, who is the his glory and him talking about? Well, in the very next verse, it says, all the same, many, even of the rulers, actually put faith in him, but they would not acknowledge him because of the Pharisees. So who's the him talking about? It is very clearly here talking about Jesus the whole time. The focus of this passage is on Jesus. All those he's and him's and his glory, things like that, that is talking about Jesus. Now, if we go to Isaiah, uh, a lot of this is taken from Isaiah 6. And so this is when Isaiah sees the throne room of God. So Isaiah 6, 1 through 3, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw Jehovah sitting on a lofty and elevated throne, and the skirts of his robe filled the temple. Now, I'm going to stop right there. That's verse 1. I, I just want to mention this. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, that's called the Septuagint, it, verse 1 reads a little bit different. Instead of the skirts of his robe filled the temple, it says this. It says, and the house was full of his glory. So when you think about uh, kings and the the like the length of their robe and things like that, that that is a, a picture of their glory. And so I think that 
that's where the the difference in the the wording comes in there but it the but what's important to know is that John is writing his New Testament gospel in Greek and when he quotes the Old Testament he's quoting from Greek and so when he says uh, that Isaiah saw his glory and spoke about him right there in verse 1 it says in, in Isaiah 6 1 it says and the house was full of his glory now who's who did Isaiah see and whose glory is he talking about he's talking about Jehovah and then a few verses down in, in Isaiah 6, 3, that's a, the very popular verse, holy, holy, holy is Jehovah of armies. This is from the New World Translation. Uh, but this the angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy is Jehovah of armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So in the, the Isaiah 6 passage, the focus is on the majesty of Jehovah and on the glory of Jehovah. And and then again in John twelve we're told that Isaiah saw his glory and spoke about him. So what what John is saying here is that Isaiah tells us that he's seeing Jehovah, but what John is saying is that Isaiah was really seeing Jesus. Jesus is Jehovah. That's what we're trying to stress over and over again to the Jehovah's Witness. And so so that's the the main argument there. Okay, now. What may happen if a Jehovah's Witness has been studying this this problem, um, then one thing they may try to bring up is later down in Isaiah 6, 8, uh, it says this, Then I heard the voice of Jehovah saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. Okay. Um, now, they, they'll put emphasis on that plural, who will go for us? And so this is right out of their out of the Jehovah's Witness app. There's a little side note in in uh, John 12 addressing this issue that I'm bringing up, and it says here that because Isaiah or because Jehovah says who will go for us, that's plural. There there must have been other people there uh, or other beings there, and one of those was likely Jesus, the first and greatest of God's creation, according to Jehovah's Witnesses. So Jesus must have been in this throne room too, like maybe off to the side. And so they're saying, you know, when I when John says Isaiah saw his glory and spoke about him, that he simply, as he's looking at the throne room of Jehovah, Jesus is also there. And so Isaiah was talking about the glory that Jesus had. Again, it is it, they are taking their own ideas and coming into the Bible and trying to trying to shove those in there um, just to make it all make sense. But if you look at the the focus of the passage. For each, Isaiah is all about Jehovah. Jesus is never mentioned there other than, you know, they say that Jesus could be part of this who will go for us uh, type of thing. And so th- that's that's an argument that they, they might make. So the Christian response to that would be to just emphasize what I have already, that, that John said Isaiah saw his glory and spoke about him, and who is the focus on in each of those passages. And so in John 12, the focus is all about Jesus, yet we're talking about Isaiah seeing him and and his glory. And the glory in Isaiah 6 is, is the emphasis there. Holy, holy, holy is Jehovah of armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so I, I think it's it's very clear that Isaiah saw Jesus's glory. And as far and think about what the Pharisees are having a, a difficult time. They're, they're threatening to kick people out of the synagogue, which is which was a huge punishment in Judaism. 
The Pharisees are threatening to kick people out of the synagogue for believing in Jesus. And and so the Pharisees would have no problem with the glory of the Father, the glory of Jehovah. But they would have a problem with people believing in and and talking about the glory that Jesus proclaimed that he had. And so the, so again, I think that makes the the argument even stronger that this is talking about Jesus is Jehovah. Um, Another verse that you can use is John 5, 18. It says this, This is why the Jews began seeking all the more to kill him, that is, Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own Father, making himself equal to God. A few verses down, John 5, 21 through 23, Jesus says this, For just as the Father raises the dead up and makes them alive, so the Son also makes alive whomever he wants to. For the Father judges no one at all, but he has entrusted all the judging to the Son. Listen to this. So that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. That's what Jesus said. Who, who? Think about that. All may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Who can actually say that? He, Jesus is saying, you need to honor me the same way, just as you honor God the Father or Jehovah. You, Jesus says, you need to honor me just as you honor Jehovah. And just as the Father or Jehovah raises the dead and makes them alive, Jesus says, I do the same thing. I make alive whomever I want to. So Jesus constantly, not just in this instance, but throughout the Gospels, throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus says things that only Jehovah could say, and he does things that only Jehovah can do. And so the Trinity is inevitable if you believe all of the Bible. Throughout the, well, especially in the New Testament, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are spoken of as if they're separate. So at Jesus' baptism, the Father speaks to the Son, the Holy Spirit descends on the, the Son like a dove. There, there's, there's interaction there but between three persons, okay? Um, so the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not mixed together. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit. They're separate in, in one sense, but all three of them, as I have shown in these last two episodes, are referred to as Jehovah or Yahweh or the Lord. That means the same thing. So they all have the one name of Jehovah, and we are told that there's only one Jehovah. So there's they're all one in a sense, and they're all three in a sense. And so that's where the Trinity comes in, the basic doctrine of the Trinity, that, that Jehovah is one being in three persons. They think about it this way, they share the divine name. How did Jesus tell us to baptize? In in the great commission in Matthew 28, Jesus says, "Go therefore and make disciples of people of all the nations, baptizing them in the name." That is a singular word in the single name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So, one name yet Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Dr. James White, he poses this question when he's talking to Jehovah's Witnesses. He basically inserts their doctrinal beliefs into this Great Commission verse. And he says, you know, tell me if this makes sense. Jesus says, go therefore, make disciples of of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of Jehovah and the the first and greatest of God's creation and an impersonal energy force. 
See, that the Great Commission kind of breaks down. It doesn't really have the same meaning if you insert the Jehovah's Witnesses' um, doctrinal beliefs in there. All right, so there's just some ways that you can go with your early conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses. Again, Jehovah's Witnesses spend a ton of time studying their Bible to to speak to you, and so it you know if this conversation gets going, it will require a lot of study on your part. Okay. All right. In closing, I just want to mention I have done some separate episodes on the Trinity and also on the deity of Jesus Christ, and those are early on, like. Some of like maybe the first within the first ten episodes of this podcast, uh, but I've done some specifically talking about those doctrines, and so you can go back and listen to those, and that'll kind of add to uh, the the talk today. And then uh, next episode, I'm going to talk about John one one. So a lot of people know this about Jehovah's Witnesses; they translate John one one this way: "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God." And Jehovah's Witnesses say, "And the Word was a God, a little g God." Now, the Orthodox position and the majority of English translations say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's big G, God. So why is there a difference there? So that's what I'll talk about next time. It will be quite nerdy, so put on your, your nerd glasses and get ready. But just as a teaser, part of the answer in, in, in talking about this with Jehovah's Witnesses Part of the thing that you can go to is this verse. It's seemingly unrelated, but this, this I think, is, is a very strong argument for the Christian and against the Jehovah's Witness interpretation of John 1.1. It's Mark 2.28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. <laughs>